Lord, that we get to come together. Lord, it is amazing. It's, it's not a common thing, Lord. The world doesn't want us to be here. The world doesn't want us to be gathering underneath your name. The world wants us to be other places, doing other things, and to make little of you. But Lord, you have granted us the privilege to be here and, and to gather, whether that be online or through whatever, whatever means. God, thank you. Thank you for that wonder that we can do it without having to come in the middle of the night. Lord, bless us now as we hear your word. Remind us of your grace and of your love. Remind us that you love sinners such as us. Remind us that you have given us the wonderful message of the gospel to take to other sinners, to tell them that there is hope. And so that we all can be encouraged in your Help us, Lord, repent of our sins, expose them to us, reveal them to us, so that we can remember and see what we have been forgiven from, and just hold up empty hands of faith, knowing that you'll never let us go. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so Paul, in our recent context of scripture, of 1 Thessalonians, has been dealing with this big topic of the end times, basically meaning what happens when Jesus comes back. He's been speaking about this because the Thessalonian church has been asking questions about it. It would seem that once Paul got the good uh, report from Timothy about how the Thessalonian church was doing amongst all their persecution, it was great. They were still believing. They were flourishing. But also, Timothy apparently brought back questions, and those questions were in regards to their own worries and concerns about Christ returning to this earth. So today we're going to be covering, covering a very heavy topic in regards to Christ's return. So today's title is The Wrath to Come. But I want to stress something um, as we cover this big topic, a heavy topic. Full disclosure, right? This is about the judgment of God about, uh, upon non-believers, and that, that's what happens when Christ returns finally. But first, understand that there is a judgment that happens, uh, that happens to non-believers once they die. As Hebrews chapter 9, verses 20, verse 27 says, And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. So once you die, just be clear here, you either go to heaven or hell. But that's not what Paul is talking about at this point in the text. He's speaking about the final judgment that will happen on the last day when Christ comes back and judges both living and dead. And his focus is on, in this context, his focus is on who happens to be alive at that time, walking about in this particular text when Christ returns. So he's describing it from that point of view. So understand this too then. The more we see how dreadful of a day that will be, the more we will appreciate just how good the gospel is. And the more hopefully we'll be encouraged to fall more in love with Christ, to, fall, to follow him more out of gratitude for what he has accomplished for us upon the cross all by faith alone in him. And then hopefully, by consequence, become all the more passionate and bold 
to share this gospel of goodness, of the grace of God to all, and not worry about the rejection that may come from people. Not caring about the scowls that may come. Not caring about the awkward, awkwardness that may be created. So that all can know the deep love of Christ now, rather than know the wrath to come. So we're going to look in our text today of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 through 3. It says in verse 1 of chapter 5, Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. Now as we get, begin here, Paul is addressing another question, right? Another question of theirs, which is stated here in the times and seasons. What they're basically asking is, when the exact day... And what are the exact things for them to be looking for to know the exact time when Christ will return, when he'll come back? The times and seasons. What we can get here is that there is some anxiousness and worry about that day, about Christ's return. And that worry was seemingly, what they were growing anxious about was about this final judgment that happens when Christ returns. And apparently they were thinking, or at least discussing, that maybe there would be possibly judgment upon them too, and not just non-believers when Christ returns. Because if you jump down in the text to verses 9 through 11, it says this. This is Paul here at the end. Here. He says, for God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another just as you are doing. So one of their questions that we can gather when Paul wrote this letter was not if Christ would be returning. They knew that. But the concern was about when the precise timing of his return would be, and would they also be part of this great judgment that he was going to bring? Now, how Paul directly answers that, uh, that question is somewhat fascinating from what we'll see, because Paul directly tells them in verse 1, he says, they have no need. For anything to be written to them. Meaning that Paul apparently covered this very question about the judgment, about Christ's return and the judgment that he would bring very, very in-depthly amongst them. So there was no real reason as to why he should have to write anything again to them. For they know this stuff already. But rather than scold them or belittle them or take offense at them, Paul does something that I think we all can learn a thing or two from. Paul lowered himself down, took the time, as we'll see, to explain once again the very things he has already told them. Not out of frustration, not out of an irritable attitude, but out of a loving, patient brother or family member to them. Because notice in this verse he calls them brothers. Again, he says that a lot. But it is a word that should not be overlooked, in, especially in this context. 
for Paul here is showing his love for them by saying this. And because of his love for them, it's not above him to repeat himself after he has already spent so much time on this one subject, apparently. So on a side note then, a practical application here, we, with our spouses, our children, our friends, whoever is in your life, we should not get so upset if they forget something we have told them and have to ask us again to explain it again and again and again. I mean, generally speaking, what we tend to get frustrated over in repeating ourselves with is really trivial compared to what Paul is repeating himself on here. Think of it. Paul is covering an important topic of Christ's return. Something that has eternal significance, things that are dealing with the people's souls right before the almighty and holy God. And yet, rather than get all irritated and flustered and frustrated with the church, as he took so much time to talk about this subject with them, he takes the time again to tell them again the very same things he said before with a caring smile. But we will get all frustrated because someone has asked us how to do X, Y, or Z again or asked us to explain ourselves all over again one more time and we get all heated up because we feel disrespected, we feel disregarded, when in reality, it should not be that big of a deal. So you have to explain it one more time. Okay, guess what? The world's not going to end by doing so. The world will end when God says so. So just explain it again, okay? And just to press this in a little bit more, of this repeating ourselves, being okay with repeating ourselves. I know it's a side note, but it's an important one for us to dwell on, being okay and not getting all flustered. Because guess what? Paul will speak about this subject, about Christ's return in regards to their questions, all over again. And he'll do it in his next letter to them called 2 Thessalonians. That's part two. So and even there, he gracefully tells them all over again what they already know. So think about that next time you're asked to repeat yourself. It's probably not that big of a deal. But okay, moving on. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 2, For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. So Paul here reminds them gently that they are fully aware or they have already accurate information and teachings on this very subject when Christ will return, or as he puts it, when the day of the Lord will happen. And so, when will it happen? Paul reminds them that they already know that they cannot know the exact time or date. Because he states here that the Lord will come like a thief in the night. And they know this already. And by the way, it was a very common and very open teaching in Christianity. For Christ himself had said multiple times to multiple people while it was upon this earth. This very thing. It wasn't too hard of a subject to dissect. Because there was so much that people could pull from, from the very mouth of Christ on this topic. 
It says, for example, we'll give you some examples here. In Matthew chapter 24, verses 42 to 43, this is what Jesus says. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would have not let his house be broken into. He says it again in chapter in Mark, chapter 13, verses 32 through 33. But concerning that day or that hour, guess what? No one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. Guess what? Even after he was resurrected and being taken into heaven amongst all those witnesses, guess what he says in Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 7. They, they asked him, so when, uh, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. So are we going to know? No. So why are they questioning this? This is a very common teaching. It's not hard, right? Why must they know? Because the teaching seems pretty straightforward, that they're never really going to know. They can only live in expectation of his return. So why are they worried about it? Well, when Paul uses the phrase, the day of the Lord, this, as I stated before, is no small subject matter. It's a very sobering and a very intense subject. And if not understood in the right context, it can become a very concerning day. For the day of the Lord is a very prominent saying in the Bible for declaring the end, stating it's the final day of this world. The day of the Lord means that on that day, if I can put it this way, the glory of man, of whatever that is, man's way, man's concerns, man's self-centeredness, man's creation, whatever we or anyone else finds so interesting in this world that man has made or done, from the Great Wall to the Great Pyramids, the achievements in science, walking upon the moon, whatever it is, that man takes glory in today, now. One day it will end, and it will be as nothing. It will just be piles of dirt in comparison to the glory that's coming. And man will finally realize his true place in this world, that it was never about him, but about God and God alone and God's glory alone when this day of the Lord happens. Isaiah chapter 2, verse 11 puts it well. Isaiah says this, The haughty looks of man shall be brought low, and the lofty pride of men shall be humbled. And the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. 
For when Christ returns, it will be his day, the Lord's day, and all will see his glory. All attention will be upon him. For on that day, the end of the world will finally come. The Lord will intervene upon this world as never before, even greater than the great flood. Because all will be exposed on that day. He will come as the judge of mankind. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10 states it this way. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burnt up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. So as Christ descends, he will bring his furious fury of wrath upon mankind for their sin. For the Lord's day is described and well known as Judgment Day. And you can see this in Ezekiel chapter 30, verse 3, where it says this. For the day is near. The day of the Lord is near. It will be a day of clouds, a time of doom for the nations. Or in Jeremiah chapter 46, verse 10. That day is the day of the Lord God of hosts, a day of vengeance, to avenge himself on his foes. The sword shall devour and be sated and drink its fill of their blood. This day will be, as Paul has said, the Lord's day, and mankind will be Mankind will be doomed to it. But Paul says in verse 3, while people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains comes upon a pregnant woman and will not escape. And Paul here then describes the absolute devastation that will suddenly and unexpectedly come upon this world in Christ's return. But Paul, him, but Paul reminds them that this world is full of those who think they need not Christ. And they are in this mindset of saying and thinking, there is peace, there is security. Basically thinking they're fine on their own. Whether they are living a rich life without Christ, saying this gospel message is silly, it's irrelevant. It has no benefit to them or this world. That man is fine on his own. These other religions are, are the ways to be right with God, which have no cross, which have no grace of God. Or that there's no God at all, so who cares? Whatever it is, though, with them saying there's peace and security, it's them saying that this gospel is stupid and not necessary, which 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18 puts so well when it says this. For the word of the cross is folly, stupid, stupidity, idiocy to those who are perishing. So as the people are going about their simple lives, 
a sudden destruction will come upon them when Christ returns, meaning the common grace or the common blessings that God gives to all men, whether they are believers or non-believers. And Jesus speaks about this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 45, where he says, for he, referring to God, makes his son rise on the evil and on the good. He and send rain and sends rain on the just and the unjust. So whatever patience, whatever kindness there was or is, on that day from God, it will be suddenly removed from them to only experience the full wrath, the full wrath of Christ. Christ Jesus, when he returns on that day. For Christ originally came as the savior of the world, not a judge, as John 3, 17 says. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. That's what he's doing. That's what he is. But on the Lord's day, on that day, when Jesus Christ comes, he comes no longer as Savior. He comes as judge. Judge in full wrath and fury against those who oppose him. In Revelation chapter 6, verses 15 through 17, captures this day oh so well. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful Everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us, hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. The great day of the wrath has come, and who can stand? And again, this will happen unexpectedly. Just as he says, labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, they will not escape. Meaning there's no getting out of this judgment of the Lamb. People will not escape this judgment day. There will, there will be no more repenting. There will be no more turning away from sin. There will be no conversions on that day. For the end will be here. And it will be final. Done. Amos chapter 2. Verses 14 through 16 captures, oh, this day so well, of what happens with men on that day. Verse 14 says this, Flight shall perish from the swift, and the strong shall not retain his strength, nor shall the mighty save his life. For he who handles the bow shall not stand, and he who is swift of foot shall not save himself, nor shall he who rides the horse save his life. 
he who is stout of heart among the mighty shall flee away naked and not die, declares the Lord. And Paul says they will not escape from their sins before Christ. They will not escape his eternal wrath for their sins. So can you see why the Thessalonians were asking about this day? And why they were seemingly worried about it? And in fact, when you think about it, you might even be a little worried about it now as we've been going over this with your own sins before God. Thinking that maybe you too are doomed to such a day. But notice Paul says here, while people are sinning, not while the brethren, not while believers are sinning, but people. Paul reminds them that this wrath, all this wrath and destruction is for the people who don't believe. Not believers, but unbelievers. Those who say, oh, there's peace and security. This day of the Lord is not for believers' judgment, but unbelievers. He reminds them of these things so that they can have comfort and know that this is not their end at all. This is not our end. When Christ comes, he brings his loved ones with him, and they are embraced by his love and favor as he returns to earth. But those who don't believe are only left to his eternal wrath. So just as we read earlier in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 9 through 11, we who believe are not destined for this wrath, but are destined to be with Christ forever, embraced by his grace. See, Christ took all this wrath we deserve for our sins, all through faith in him. For the gospel is good news for us. And after reading through these verses of judgment, and looking at these other passages of judgment, how can it not be good news? That we don't have to face this wrath of God for our sins, but rather we get to see his smile on that day. For that day for us is a great day of being with our Lord in his return. But it's a horrific day for those who don't know him. That day brings us rest. But on that day, it only brings wrath. See, Jesus has taken care of all of this for us by faith in him. All of the past and the present and future sins are forever forgiven, no longer held against us. We have been fully redeemed, all by faith in Christ alone. And you have this good news to share with yourself every day. You also have this good news to share with the world, so that they, whoever they are in your world, don't have to face that day of wrath. But rather, they can take part in the joy of that day. You have the message of the gospel of grace to share. For without Christ, there's just judgment and wrath. That's their end. But praise be to God that Christ did everything for us by faith alone in him. He lived the life we couldn't live. He died the death that we deserved. And he came back to life to give what we could not earn, salvation. For we now have true rest and are free. For our destination is with him forever in his favorable presence. It's finished in Christ. So let us then share that glorious message with everyone before he returns. 
Amen? So now we're going to take the Lord's Supper, which is about Christ coming back, what he did, and he's coming back. We take this until he returns. This is a good thing for us. So deacons, please come forward. This is a great thing for us. It's a wonderful day.